0: I bring you greetings from Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville, Kentucky, where I serve with C.J. Mahaney and five other elders. Todd and Brittany have often referenced the joy that they have, the experience of joy they have in fellowshipping with you all, and Julie and I want to thank you for the care you have
1: shown them, because they've given us many good reports. At the start of World War II, General Douglas MacArthur
0: was a revered and dearly loved American leader in the Philippines. But shortly after the attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941, he was forced with his wife Jean and their four-year-old son Arthur to flee to Australia. When he arrived he declared in a press statement, I shall return. And he repeated that phrase often and in public
1: for the next two and a half years. During that time, the Filipinos
0: experienced horrifying brutality from the Japanese army, including the infamous Bataan Death March a six-day trek of 65 miles that resulted in the deaths of nearly 10,000 men. In October of 1944, MacArthur finally made good on his promise and led the invasion of the Philippine island of Leti. And that day, he declared in a radio broadcast from the field, People of the Philippines! I have returned. Four months later, the Allied forces recaptured the Bataan Peninsula and Manila was liberated shortly after that. It's a powerful story of a promise of deliverance fulfilled. But sadly, only one-third of the men that MacArthur left behind lived to see his return.
1: I'm a little late, he said, but we finally came. Waiting for humans to deliver us has its drawbacks. But waiting for the Lord to deliver us has none. Because unlike human deliverers, the Lord has the
0: power and the character, and the track record to fully
1: carry out what He has promised. If you'd open your Bibles to Psalm 40, that's where we're going to be spending our time for the next few minutes. Psalm 40 is a psalm about waiting. And
0: after being in the midst of COVID-19 and still being in the midst of COVID-19, we are all more familiar than we would probably want to be with waiting.
1: Waiting for a vaccine. Waiting for a job. Waiting to see family again. Maybe just waiting for life to feel somewhat normal. Psalm 40 is going to teach us about waiting. But more than that, it's going to teach us about what it means to wait well. It's going to show
0: us how to celebrate God's character and faithfulness even as we're waiting to be delivered again. And God has used this psalm in my life more times than I can recount to remind me of this truth. God's faithfulness to deliver us from trials in the past enables us to praise Him through trials
1: in the present. It's difficult to do, isn't it? Praise Him through trials in the present. But God's faithfulness to deliver us from
0: trials in the past enables us to praise him through trials in the present. Being delivered from a trial is a great feeling. Can you imagine if that day should come one day when we will all look back and say, yeah, remember COVID-19? Won't that be a great day of celebration? But that feeling of being delivered is often overshadowed by the longing and pain and discouragement and darkness that can accompany new trials. Here's what Psalm 40 will help us see. The trials that we're currently experiencing aren't meant to destroy us. They're meant to direct our hearts to the only one worthy
1: of our trust. May God's Spirit direct our hearts to Him as I read this psalm for us. Psalm 40, to the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the
0: pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their
1: trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does
0: not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them,
1: yet they are more than can be told. your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number.
0: My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. There are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them be appalled because of their shame who
1: say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice
0: and be glad. In you, may those who love your salvation say continually, great is the
1: Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought from me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh my God. May God bless the reading
0: and the study and the preaching of His Word for the glory of Jesus. Amen. We're going to look at Psalm 40 in three sections. Here's the first one verses 1 through 5. Deliverance remembered. Deliverance remembered. The psalm begins with David recounting a past deliverance. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Literally, the psalm
1: begins waiting. I waited. He was expectant. He wasn't just sitting around
0: Inactive, distracted, just holding on. He was trusting that God knew what was happening and he was going to do something about it. David looked at his own resources and came up with nothing. So he turned and trusted fully in the Lord for deliverance. Now it says that he was delivered from a pit. And a miry bog, and I don't know exactly what a miry bog is, but it doesn't sound very pleasant. And we don't know exactly what David's pit and miry bog were, but that's helpful. Because whatever we're going through right now, we can fit into that. If it feels like a pit, feels like a miry bog, we can identify Because we are all waiting to be delivered from something right now. Probably multiple things. If only. When is this? Oh, I want. How can this? That's a pit. That's a miry bog. David was waiting too. Only his waiting came to an end. God delivered him. And the result was a song. Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You may have heard that a new song doesn't necessarily mean a song that was newly composed, as much says, it's a fresh response to a new demonstration of God's mercy. And David had experienced that mercy and that power. For us, it might be a couple trying to have a child for years. Trying the pregnancy test again and again. Negative, 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 negative. And after years of waiting,
1: one morning it comes back positive. The couple feels like they've been delivered. It might be
0: waiting months to be able to apply for a visa and finally they open it up again. Again. And you can apply for that visa. Might be having a hip or a joint replaced and not experiencing
1: chronic pain anymore. You delivered. And what do you want to do? Well, a lot of times you want to sing a song, and you
0: don't even have to have a good voice. It just feels so good. We've been delivered. Old songs start to have new, revelant, new, new relevance. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. My song when enemies surround me. My joy when tides of sorrow rise. Yes, he is. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand. Yeah, how do we know that? Because we just experienced it. We say, yes, he can. It's hard not to sing when you've been delivered. Something that God does in us. And that's because it's His plan that we sing when we are delivered. He wants others to hear about what He's done, about His power and His kindness in our lives, resulting in more songs of praise, right? Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. They will sing their own new song. So as David reflects on what God has done, he turns out and counsels us in verse 4. He says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. When David needed help, he could have turned to his own resources. He was pretty capable. He was pretty competent. He had dealt with wolves as a shepherd He had defeated Goliath. He had led armies. But he didn't trust in himself. He trusted in the Lord. He waited patiently for him. He walked in humility and trusted that God would deliver him. And he did. So David turns out to us and he says, Hey, be humble. Don't be stupid. Trust the Lord. And you'll be blessed. Because blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Now fundamentally, blessed means to be happy, to experience well-being. And here David is telling us how to be
1: happy. He's saying, trust the Lord. Don't trust anything else. Don't, Don't think you can find deliverance
0: somewhere else. Trust the Lord. Because There's another path we can be tempted to take when we're waiting for something to happen. And that's the path of the proud. It's the path of those who go astray after a lie. Or after idols, as the word here implies. And our culture and our media feed us these lies constantly. You need help? Science will save us. You need to be delivered? Education will deliver us. You having problems? More
1: money will make everything okay. You need to get out of the problems you're currently
0: in? Drugs will fix what's wrong with you. Political power is the answer. We can
1: save ourselves! That's what the world tells us. Those are all lies. Make the Lord your trust. And David drives that point
0: home in the next verse as he speaks directly to the Lord and reminds us there is no one like Him. Verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell
1: of them, yet they are more than can be told. God's wondrous deeds in our lives aren't random acts of kindness.
0: They're rooted in His thoughts for us, which are His plans for our lives. God doesn't just add up these wondrous deeds and thoughts. Here's one. A couple months later, here's another one. A couple months later, oh, that's right, I forgot about you. Here's another one. All the time we're going through our needs, waiting for deliverance, God's multiplying wondrous deeds and thoughts toward us. He's thinking about what great things he's going to do in your life and through your life. And I remember specifically one time I was driving in the car, discouraged by so many things that I had to do, hadn't done, needed to be delivered from, and this verse came to mind, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, that's right. I have a God who right now is multiplying wondrous deeds and thoughts towards me. Here's five. Okay, here's
1: 25. Okay, here's 125. Okay, here's 625. That's what he's doing. Who is like that? Who Who is constantly thinking
0: of ways to bless us and encourage us and sustain us and deliver us? As parents, Julie and I had dreams for our kids. What hobbies they'd enjoy, what sports they'd been involved in, what instrument they'd play apart from the piano, what kind of person they'd marry, what they'd do for a living, where they'd live. We'd be thinking about their future and we loved it. Multiply
1: that exponentially, and you have the way God thinks about us. Before your parents even met, He thought through who they would be, where you would be born, your hair color, your skin color, how tall you would be, what your voice would sound like, what strengths and weaknesses you'd have. And if you're a believer, God's wondrous
0: deeds include choosing us, calling us, opening our hearts to the gospel, justifying us, adopting us into his family, changing us into the likeness of his son, and making sure that love and mercy follow us all the days of our lives until
1: we see his face. It's no wonder David says none can compare with him. Charles Spurgeon expressed it like this, how sweet to be
0: outdone, overcome, and overwhelmed by the astonishing grace of the Lord our God. When we can't see any possible way out of our present situation, right then, God is multiplying His wondrous deeds and thoughts toward us. How should we respond to that kind of love and mercy and power. Well, the next five verses David tells us, this is section two, deliverance responded to. We just looked at deliverance remembered. This is deliverance responded to. After a time of victory or deliverance, the Israelites would typically respond with some kind of sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice would God want when he answers our prayers for rescue. Here's what David says, verse 6. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. What? David mentions all the types of sacrifices that God himself commanded in the law. It sounds like God is changing his mind. It sounds like
1: he's moving the target. But he's not doing that. God gave His people the sacrificial system
0: as a gracious way for His people to draw near to Him without being consumed by His holiness. But those sacrifices weren't His main concern. He wanted their hearts and obedience. He wants our hearts and obedience. Public displays of devotion are important, but without the heart, they're worthless. And that's what that phrase, unusual phrase means. You have given me an open ear. David is saying, I know sacrifices aren't going to be enough. I'm ready to do whatever you tell me to do. Whatever you have to say, Lord, I want to do it. Hebrews 10.5 That phrase, you have given me an open ear, is translated as a body you have prepared for me. And there the writer is just making it clear that God opening our ears means much more than just listening. It means we want to fully obey whatever is on God's heart. So in response to God rescuing him, David has an open ear towards God's commands. He says, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. So in verse 7, he says, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. What does that mean? Well, it has two meanings. First, David recognizes that as the king, he had a responsibility to obey God's law. He was accountable to God's law. He's submitted to its authority. Secondly, though, he knows that God has sovereignly appointed him for good works. In the scroll of the book, it's written of me. He's confident God is wisely governing his life. So he says, I delight to do your will, O my God. And that, that's the natural and appropriate response of any godly person who has been delivered or needs to be delivered and you often see that in the Psalms. Another example is Psalm 27, verse 11, where he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in your path, on a level path, because of my enemies. In other words, show me your ways. I want to obey you. I want to do what you're
1: saying. God doesn't deliver us so we can do whatever we want. He delivers us so that we might love him
0: with all our heart and walk in obedience to him. He's not only looking for
1: grateful lips, but grateful lives. But that doesn't mean what we say with our lips is
0: unimportant. And that's what we see in verse 9 and 10. I love these two verses. I have told the glad news of deliverance of the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Congregation. I love what one commentator says about those two verses. It may seem on a superficial observation as if David used here too many words, but they will judge quite otherwise. To understand the natural coldness of the human heart, its lukewarmness in the praise of God, its forgetfulness and unthankfulness, and the inclination of the lazy mouth
1: to silence. That's so insightful. When we've been delivered, we don't want to have lazy mouths.
0: We have news to share. We have news to sing about. And I find it far too easy to move from being delivered from some trial that I've waited for for days or weeks or months to be delivered from.
1: I'm delivered and I move immediately to the other problems I have. I have a lazy mouth. Start grumbling about what else hasn't been done.
0: What other thing hasn't come in my life? Some other way I'm suffering? Rather than taking time for gratefulness adoration, I go right to grumbling and anxiety, and whenever we do
1: that, we rob God of glory and prevent others from seeing God's character.
0: Theologian Alan Ross says, "Divine." Intervention without the response of declarative praise, destroys God's design. God has plans for His people, and those plans provide amazing acts on their ha- behalf. Through it all, God desires expressions of praise and thanksgiving, because
1: praise will edify and change others. It might be helpful just to examine your own life and ask yourself if you have a lazy mouth. If others would say you have a lazy mouth. Your spouse, especially if you're married, they'll tell you. Mine does. I praise the Lord for it.
0: That kind of declaration and praise happens each week as we gather. I have told the glad news of deliverance, not in my bedroom, which is fine to do, but in the great congregation. I have not hidden your deliverance from the great congregation. Our expressions of praise and thanksgiving for God's steadfast love are meant to encourage and change those around us as we all see that God's faithfulness to deliver us from trials in the past enables us to praise Him through trials in the present. The next verse takes us into the third section of the psalm from responding to God's deliverance to anticipating it. Deliverance anticipated. David moves from proclamation to prayer. Verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Now we can see why David could say earlier, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord, because he knew you, O Lord,
1: will not restrain your mercy from me. There is no sin no extenuating circumstance,
0: no situation, no failing, no misunderstanding that can cause
1: God to hold back His mercy from His own. He is rich in mercy. Do we understand what it means for God to be
0: rich in mercy? As Paul says in Ephesians 2.4, He is rich in mercy. For His mercy to be unrestrained let Dane Ortland tell us from his book Gentle and Lowly. It means His mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours.
1: It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting
0: shame is not a problem for Him, but the very thing He loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause His love to take a hit. It means on that day when we stand before Him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished of you
1: of His mercy-rich heart we have. You, O Lord, will not restrain your mercy from me.
0: That reality enables David to stare his current situation straight in the face. And that situation isn't good because he needs that mercy right now. Verse 12, evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. Do you understand what he's saying right now? Evils have encompassed me beyond number, like everything around me is going bad. And then he looks inward and says, oh yeah, by the way, (laughs) my iniquities have overtaken me. My sins have overtaken me. Like I am such a loser. I have been so unfaithful. I can't even see. That's what he's saying. And it sounds like David is right back at the beginning of the psalm. Like he needs to be delivered again right? he's Only it sounds like he hasn't been delivered yet. At the beginning of the psalm he was, but it sounds like he's back waiting to be delivered. And at this time he's saying, my iniquities have overtaken me. He's in a pit and a miry bog again, but it's partly due to his own actions. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, don't you ever think sometimes there's no way the Lord's going to deliver me from this because I'm the one to blame. Hear what the Word of God is saying. Hear what God is saying to you, to us, to me.
1: You may have been the one to get yourself in this predicament, but you're not going to be the one to get yourself out. And I delight
0: to deliver you because that's the kind of God I am. I will not restrain my mercy from you. The Lord loves to rescue us even from pits and bogs of our own making and design. So David cries out in verse 13, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And then he prays these prayers that we so rarely pray. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight my hurt. And love this one. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. David has people around who are just waiting for him to fall, waiting
1: to catch him in some mistake. He has enemies. We have enemies too. There may be some that are coming to mind right now. But even if there aren't we all we all have an enemy.
0: And he works through those who are against the advance of the gospel and the health of the church and the authority and sufficiency of God's word and God himself. So they stand against us. And the one who is behind them is the accuser of the brethren, Satan, the father of lies and our eternal foe. And we can use these words at any time to pray against his scheme but then, in verse 16, David turns from his circumstances and what others are saying about him to what we should be saying about the Lord. Verse 16. There's a lot in here about what we say. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May
1: those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. How can we be expected to say great is the Lord when life doesn't turn out
0: the way we thought it would? When our plans get decimated, dashed, destroyed, and we find our place, find ourselves in a place we never thought we would be, and there're more questions than answers filling our hearts? How can we say great is the Lord? Because our joy doesn't come from getting our specific prayers answered in specific ways in the timing that we demand. Our joy comes from knowing God has revealed who He is in past deliverances and He doesn't change. We may not know the wondrous deeds and thoughts the Lord has for us right now, But we can be absolutely sure of this. He is always writing new chapters, new stories, giving us fresh reasons to declare His steadfast love and faithfulness. So we can say continually, great is the Lord. Christopher Ashe wisely reminds us, we praise not because the present is easy, but
1: because the future is glorious. David concludes his prayer. We find him
0: anticipating deliverance once again. Verse 17, As for me, I am poor and needy,
1: but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God.
0: Praising God's character, faithfulness, and steadfast love doesn't automatically remove our trials, but it does change our perspective. And with fresh conviction, we can say, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. And his thoughts are not random or passing or questionable. They are intentional, permanent, and good. He is so good. The Lord delivering us is to be remembered, it's to be responded to, and it's something we can anticipate because God's faithfulness in the past to deliver us from trials in the past enables us to praise Him through trials in the present. But what if you're so discouraged right now, so immersed in your pain or loss, you've waited so long that it's hard to remember ways that God has delivered you in the past. What if... Calling them to mind doesn't encourage your soul. Well, we have a deliverance. Every believer has a deliverance that David could only point to. And he did that in the middle of Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. We read it earlier. God led the writer of Hebrews to quote these verses and to put them in the mouth of Jesus, speaking of his incarnation. This is Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 7. David could make all the promises he wanted to about walking in God's ways and delighting in His Word, but you know what? He failed. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was a liar. And all
1: our promises will fail too. The goal is not to get all the questions right. To do everything right. Because we won't. But David pointed us to the Savior who did do everything
0: right. And who could say with us, because He took on our flesh, I am poor and needy. He is truly the one who could say, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. And it was written of Him, in the scroll of the book, over and over and over. He would be a descendant of David, born to a virgin in Bethlehem. God's law was within his heart as he healed the sick and freed the captives. And even as he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, he delighted to do God's will as he was crucified amongst criminals, forsaken
1: by God, and pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And it was written in the scroll of the book that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb and rise from the dead. Jesus has done what no other sacrifice could do.
0: And because of his perfect humility and obedience, whenever we struggle to feel God's love in our present trials, we can look back to Calvary where God's love for us was on full display and His delivering us from our sin and His wrath was fully achieved. And if you don't have that confidence here today, or if you're watching by live stream, I urge you, to not follow the path of the proud, to not go astray after a lie and think that you can somehow deliver yourself from God's
1: just wrath and judgment. Because you cannot. Only Jesus could do that
0: because only Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father
1: and could die in the place of those who never could and never would. Jesus delighted
0: in doing His Father's will so that we can be sure, even when we fail to do that will, we are never out of God's sight, never away from His presence, never absent from His thoughts. And we can be certain that in the midst of interminable waits and wanderings, losses and longings, disappointments and delays, God is setting the stage for a mind-boggling, joy-expanding, never-ending celebration around the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb where all sin and all pain and
1: all death and all waiting will be over. And more than anything else on earth, more than anything else we can imagine, that is something worth waiting for. Father, we thank
0: You for Your Word. We thank You for the encouragement that we receive by understanding what Jesus has done that we could never do. That He is our Deliverer, our only Deliverer. We thank You that He has delivered us from sin, He has delivered us from Your just wrath and judgment, and we can now be forgiven, welcomed into Your family as dearly loved children, and know that in every moment of our trials and waiting and suffering, You are preparing wondrous deeds and thoughts, multiplying them toward us for our good and for Your glory. May we live in the good of that reality so that we might continually say, "Great."
1: is the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.